Okay, uh, we're going to get started uh, with our last session here. So if you want to uh, find a chair, um, I'm going to try to wrap things up a little bit here. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, we all have like little things that haunt us a little bit. Uh, one of the things that haunts me is like when I read the Gospels and I read about the Pharisees and I ask myself, like, if I'm really honest, if I had lived in Jesus's day, would that have been me? Right? If I, if I had lived in Jesus's day, would I have been one of the Pharisees, right? Because, you know, in the Pharisees, we see these people who loved studying the Bible. They loved it a lot. They had spent all of this time, they, they knew inside and out all these prophecies about what it was going to be like when the Messiah came, but something had happened over the years so that when Jesus confronts them, they're not actually seeing the Messiah, even though he's right in front of them. They're putting stumbling blocks in people's way who are trying to come to Jesus. They're imposing burdens on people, but not lifting a finger to help them. They're stingy with their money. Like You get this picture of them that something has gotten off. And, and one way of putting it would be this. Remember we talked yesterday about how Jesus said the greatest command is to love God with your whole being, your heart, your mind, your soul, everything. And then Jesus says, and the second command is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. The danger is always what happens when somehow we think we're loving God with our whole being, but somehow that's not expressing itself in how we love other people, right? Something dangerous is going on inside of us. So what I want to do today is I want to take uh, a saying that you've heard uh, a few times over the course uh, of your breakout sessions. Uh, you know, Mark's talked about this in podcasts and, and up front, right? And it's not a quotation any of us came up with. It's been around for a long time. The quotation says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. And what I want to do is I want to try to unpack that a little bit, but I want to explain this as an application of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Because what we're describing is how we interact with other people with respect to Christian doctrine. And what Jesus has told us is the way you interact with other people is to love them as you would love yourself. Then in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things charity ought to be an expression of what love of your neighbor looks like. So let's start with the first part. An essentials unity, right? As we've said multiple times, right, uh, you know, using the language of 1 Corinthians 15, if there are some things that are, that are of first importance, not everything is equally important, right? And if you think about the, the passage I read yesterday from John chapter, or 2 John, right, John is saying there is an essential teaching about the incarnation of Jesus Christ that is being denied by false teachers, and this is essential, and you must oppose it. You can't say, okay, well, we're a church, we're just going to agree to disagree about whether Jesus came in the flesh or not. That's not one of the options that's available to us. And so as we are interacting with people, 
sometimes we will encounter people who want to call themselves Christians, but who deny some of those essential aspects of the faith. And so it is critical that we stand firm and we not compromise those essentials. Right? You know, think of the things that are in the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, right? Some of these like historic confessions of the faith, those are describing things that are crucial for us to defend. In 2 Timothy 1.14, in some of Paul's last words, he tells Timothy to guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Right? Guarding the good deposit means understanding what we have received from generations past, guarding that so that we get to pass that on to the next generation. Um, one of the things that was actually like one of my biggest joys uh, this weekend was like I didn't, I got to go to every single breakout session because I didn't, they didn't make me teach one. And every single breakout session, I'm now the old guy, right? Every single breakout session is taught by somebody younger than me. But I'll tell you, like, there is something that is joy-giving about seeing the people who are younger than me guarding the good deposit. Think what the alternative would be, right? If I walk into a room and everybody that younger than me isn't guarding the good deposit, we've got a huge problem. Right? This is a source of joy. And it's important because, you know, there's, there's very few original heretics. Like, it's actually coming up with your own plausible heresy is incredibly time-consuming and a lot of hard work, and most people don't have it in them. Right? Most of us become heretics in a very lazy way that there are other people who are heretics and we start listening to the wrong people. Right? And we allow them to shape our viewpoints. We have to stand on guard and realize how important guarding the good deposit is. It's so important that it's more important than a tax break. Right? If someday the United States government puts us in a position where either we compromise the essentials of our faith or we start having to pay a really big property tax bill on this facility... We need to say, either we figure out how to pay it or we move out, right? Because guarding the good deposit is more important than anything else. And we have brothers and sisters around the world who've already had to do that. Think of our brothers and sisters in China who are meeting secretly in house churches when it would be more convenient to meet in a registered church and let the Chinese government help determine their doctrine, right? And they're, they're not doing that. And here's the key point, though. When we guard the good deposit... We guard those essentials. We are loving our neighbor as ourself. Imagine if you had a medicine that could save people's lives, but that medicine to work, it has to be kept at precisely the right temperature. And if you let it get too hot, too cold, right, it doesn't work anymore. And if people ask you, why are you being so particular about keeping that exactly the right temperature, <laughs> Right? It's, it's, it's because if I don't keep it the right temperature, it's not going to save you. I want this to work for you as it has worked for me. And to do that, I have to guard the foundations. So in essentials, unity. Right? But in non-essentials, liberty. Because not everything is one of those essentials. So let me give a really practical example. This is my life. Um, my wife, Anastasia... Uh, grew up in a different 
church tradition than I did. And to this day, she and I still disagree about the doctrine of baptism. We do, right? And, you know, she and I were talking about this. And the interesting thing is we've talked to each other enough that both of us are less sure we're right than when we were when we first got married. Right? Um, to this day, Anastasia has not been rebaptized. She's actually a member at Cornerstone Church, even though she hasn't been rebaptized. Uh, because as Cornerstone, we've decided we have a policy on baptism, right? And that policy is we're not going to baptize infants. And so Anastasia had to be okay with being in a church where that's the teaching and the practice. Uh, but Cornerstone has also said because this is not an essential, she can be a full member of here, right? Because she can be respectful of the doctrinal position our elders have taken, even though in her conscience she disagrees, right? Um, but she's also someone who uh, can be rejoicing as she watches people get baptized, even the people who are getting rebaptized, right? So this is important because liberty means both acknowledging that within our churches there are people who dissent from particular things that Cornerstone practices but they still want to be a part of what God is doing here. They still want to be in, you know, respectful submission to the teaching authority of our elders. And we need to be a church that is generous and has room and allows liberty for people as individuals to do that. And it also means that we can look at other churches and grant their leadership the same respect they would want, uh, we would want them to grant ours. Right? So in other words, I, I can visit the church Anastasia grew up in, right, which has different practices about, say, baptism. And as I visit them, I am visiting my brothers and sisters in Christ and rejoicing in what God is doing in them, even though their expression looks a little bit different than mine, because it's not essentials that we're disagreeing about. Right? Part of what is important here is to realize that there really is a ditch on both sides. There is absolutely a ditch where we start compromising on the essentials. And we've got to avoid that. But there is a different ditch where we take things that are not essentials and we elevate them and we start causing unnecessary division within the church of God. Uh, I think a lot of what is crucial here is, is part of loving your neighbor is adopting a position of humility toward your neighbor. Humility is really important, and humility means admitting that hard questions are hard, right? I, I just got out of Mark's session on the end times, right? And if you went through that session, you think, why is Mark saying this is complicated? Isn't this just like so obviously, right? You missed it. It really is hard. It really is hard, right? And so there are some things that the Bible clearly and consistently teaches across the scriptures, and there are other things where it's difficult for us to figure out how the different parts of the Bible harmonize together. And as fallible people try to do that, we sometimes make mistakes, and we can allow ourselves to admit our own fallibility, even while affirming the infallibility of the Scriptures themselves. Right? And so, it's important that we recognize the importance of liberty. But then I want to now talk about the third thing, in all things, all things charity. 
Now here I got to explain the word charity a little bit, because like when you hear the word charity, you're probably thinking like, uh, you know, throwing five bucks to the guy, you know, who's like panhandling on the side of the road, right? Or maybe you think about writing a check to a charitable organization, that's charity. That's actually a, like a subset of charity. Charity is really just um, from a word that means love, right? In other words, when, when we're using charity, I could probably, and maybe I even will for the rest of the talk, just say in all things love, because that's what it means, right? So when I give to the poor, that's an example of a loving act or a charitable act, right? So the, the idea is an attitude of love toward all people in all things. So remember, you know, I, I said at the beginning, Jesus says we're supposed to love God with our uh, heart, all our soul, all of our mind, and that the second commandment is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's interesting, right? Most of the passages that I was like giving you guys yesterday, if you read the rest of the passage, it always comes back to loving other people. All right, so for example, yesterday I, I quoted Philippians 4, uh, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. All right, so I, I, I memorized that, and I realized sometimes when I would quote it in my head, I would skip verse 9, and then I would skip straight to the end of it and say, and the God of peace will be with you. Right? So the idea is if I will just meditate on these things that are true, noble, and right, I will experience the peace of God. But I realize it's actually skipping over part of the verse. In between, here's what it says. Paul says, do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. In other words, like put into practice the things I have taught you and modeled for you. Well, what did he teach and what did he model? If you go back one chapter in Philippians 3, he explains that he's asking them to imitate him as he has tried to imitate Christ. Well, what does imitating Christ look like? Go back one more chapter to Philippians 2, and we get this description of what the life of Jesus was like. Jesus is the one who left behind the treasures of heaven and emptied himself and became nothing and took the form of a servant and was obedient even to death on a cross right? That's what it looks like to imitate Paul, who's imitating Jesus. We as Christians are called to love, and that means loving everyone. Loving everyone. Uh, that means loving the people within your church who disagree with you. That means loving people who belong to other churches other than yours. That means loving people who hate the church of Jesus Christ and are actively persecuting it. Right? Everyone, right? And so when we say love in all things, charity in all things, that's the radical view that that means. So let me give a few practical examples of this. Love means not misrepresenting the views of those we disagree with. Uh, I want to say, this is one of the things that made me happy uh, as I was like going to all the different breakout sessions, is I'm telling you the people who put in the work to teach you this weekend were putting in work to try to as clearly and fairly as they could describe the various positions that are out there. 
right, to not misrepresent them. But that's part of love, right, is to try to not misrepresent those we disagree with, even though it is very tempting because by misrepresenting a view, you make it easier to persuade people that it's wrong and get them to agree with you, right? There's always going to be this temptation here, but love means that we resist it. Secondly, charity means not imputing the worst motives to those we disagree with, right? You must hate the Bible to say something like that, right? You must not love Jesus to say something like that. I mean, let's be really careful and cautious about jumping to conclusions about what someone else's motive is simply because they disagree with us on something. Um, you know, one of the things that I have, have seen is, you know, because we have this desire to guard the good deposit and because there is a history sometimes of denominations starting to compromise on this and this and this and all of a sudden they find themselves pretty far off from where they started doctrinally. Um, there can be this tendency to assume that if someone is departing from us on a secondary matter, they're just warming up to, like, uh, dispute one of the fundamentals, right? And we start engaging with them as if they actually were. That's not fair, right? If it's an essential and it's essential and we've got to stand up for it, right? Uh, but don't be quick to assume those kinds of, of slippery slope um, characterizations of your opponent. Third, charity means that we fight for the truth according to the character of Jesus. We fight for the truth according to the character of Jesus. Did you notice, again, I read the whole passage, guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us, right? So the way we're guarding the good deposit is through the Holy Spirit. Well, if we're acting according to the Holy Spirit, what's it going to look like? It's going to look like the fruit of the Spirit, right? So as we are guarding the good deposit, we are going to be characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? And if somehow our defense of the truth doesn't look like that, something is off and we need to repent, Right? Because the, the character of Jesus and the, the character and the fruit of the Spirit ought to be obvious in the way that we interact with people on matters of Christian doctrine. And fourth, I already alluded to this, but I'm just going to say it again because it is among the most counterintuitive things Jesus ever said. Love means loving your enemies. Love means loving your enemies. I mean, of, of all the things Jesus taught... I think this may be one of the ones that is most deeply in opposition to our sin nature and what our sin nature naturally leads us to. Our sin nature says, if you oppose me, I fight, right? Um, and I, I want to, to hurt those who hurt me. And Jesus is saying, no, like, I want you to be like your father in heaven who he sends his reign and he raises the sun on good people and bad people, on those who love him, on those who oppose him. 
We are to be instruments of God's love and blessing for all people, including the people who persecute us. And I say, part of the reason I want to emphasize this is one of just my observations about evangelicals in America right now is many people, I think, are caught up in a fear of what happens if we find ourselves a minority that is now the ones who are being persecuted, right? What, what if the wrong people win the wrong elections and all of a sudden we find ourselves in a position where we might be oppressed and persecuted? And the teaching of Jesus is to say, we don't have to fear persecution because first of all, persecution can never take from us the good deposit, right? That is ours and there is no power of earth that can take it away from us. And second, persecution is an opportunity in a unique way to make visible to the world what the love of Jesus Christ looks like. And that is what we were called to when we became Christians to start with. Right, so as Christians, we don't have to live in fear because we have a deposit that the world cannot take away from us. So here's what I want to say in conclusion. We started yesterday by me talking about both love and truth. And so what I want you to leave here realizing is the way love and truth reinforce each other. The more you understand the truth about God, who he is, and how he has expressed himself to us in Jesus Christ, the more you see the truth of who he really is, the more that causes the love of Jesus Christ to well up with inside of us. And as we are characterized by that love, it pushes us toward wanting to love other people. And the part of the way we love other people is by sharing with them the truth, helping them to ground their lives in the truth. Because the best thing that could happen to them is they walk out of the deceptions of the world and into the glorious freedom of the children of God that is characterized by the truth that we have in the gospel that has been given to us and as we try to pass that pure gospel on to others and to the next generation. So I want to uh, thank all of you guys for coming. I'll have Alana uh, come back up here uh, to say a few uh, closing words. Uh, but as you go, I just want to encourage you, if you're taking notes, like go back through your notes and just circle and highlight a few things that God really laid on your heart as things you want to just try to keep thinking about and meditating on often just to worship God and delight in God for who he is. And think about ways that you can take what you've learned here to fuel love for other people so that the love of God isn't just in you, but it is expressed through you.